For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Let's do it. Welcome to the Big Weekend. I'm Kyle Coster. I'm here with Liam McCune. We're not worried. We're not running. We're not scared. Yes, we are 20 and 27 on the year, picking games with a push thrown in there for good measure. But it's a long season. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We're looking to go 1-0 every single week. We've addressed some issues. I had been picking the early games. Liam had been picking the late games. We flip-flopped. Guess what? We're 1-0 since that happened. Now, did it matter that that pick was made and etched in stone before we decided to shake the lineup up? Maybe. Scholars disagree on that issue. Seven games under 500, not great, but that's something that can be erased in two weeks. And I feel good about the bets this week. I'll start right now. Here's one I love. And it may feel a bit counterintuitive because it wasn't long ago that we were talking about the Buffalo Bills being the best team in all of football. Buffalo Bills have a loss on their ledger. And that loss came, I have to say, in probably the most brutal fashion I've ever seen in the NFL, playing on the surface of the sun in Miami. Stephon Diggs could barely run down the field. Josh Allen had to be held up by Tua in the post-game hug. They have to play a game on Sunday night. And guess what they get to do? They get to chase Lamar Jackson around. That should be fun. I'm banking on a huge hangover. And guess what? The Ravens are getting three points at home. What's not to love? Lamar Jackson is a Miami Dolphins miraculous comeback away from being undefeated and from being the MVP frontrunner. He's still the same player. No matter what his defense does late in the game against a hard-charging opponent, I think Buffalo is going to be dead. And I know that it's crazy to suggest a blowout because the Bills are still my pick to win the Super Bowl. But you have a confluence of factors here that I'm just trusting what I know about hydration, what I know about space, what I know about science, what I know about the limitations of the human body, and what I know about the unbounded potential from Lamar Jackson and a coach like John Harbaugh who noticed that game and is going to do everything that he can to spread the field and make them even more tired. So give me Ravens, give me the points, sprinkle a little bit on the money line. If we lose this one, it sort of feels like the universe is flat out against us. We're going to probably tease another pick that has to do with the fallout of that Miami game later, but I love this one. It's my third best pick of the week. Well, Kyle, I think you're right. I like it a lot. Uh, Lamar Jackson is the MVP right now. I think he's been tremendous, but I mean, in terms of this particular game, I think, you know, anybody who watched that Dolphins game knows that the bills are banged up on defense. They're starting multiple rookies. Even if Jordan Poyer returns to his safety position, the bills are very shorthanded. 
They signed Xavier Rhodes off the street today. I would put money on him getting over half of the defensive snaps. That's the kind of situation the Bills find themselves in. And that is a subpar situation when you're going up against a legitimate MVP candidate, such as Lamar Jackson, who I was told couldn't throw the ball and yet has ripped apart every defense in his path to start the season. I think, especially with the home cooking, Vegas seems to be undervaluing Baltimore a little bit here. And a three-point line, it's very hard to not touch this. I Kyle said, take the over, but more importantly, grab your popcorn because this is going to be a hell of a game. Yeah, and I also don't think that we're going to know anything more about these two teams because it just has to do with schedule. And it has to do with this quick turnaround. When they play inevitably again in January, I'm not so sure we're going to be looking back at the Ravens' victory if they do pull it off as evidence that they're the better team. I I still think it's just a situational league, and you got to fire when the opportunity presents itself. Absolutely. And my third best bet of the week is a very tempting, tempting line. It is the Jaguars as seven-point underdogs against the Eagles. These are two very good teams in the early going. Obviously, a very strange thing to say about the Jaguars. And I'm not sure even the most optimistic Eagles fans anticipated this start. Jalen Hurts has taken the next step, or so it seems. His new is uh, improved, I should say, receiving core looks great. The Jaguars have bounced back from the Urban Meyer era to put together a very competent team under Doug Peterson. Trevor Lawrence has shaken off a lot of the rookie mistakes. He still makes a couple of boneheaded throws here and there, but this offense is producing. And let me tell you, this defensive line is extremely impressive. The Jaguars have one of the best run defenses in the league. That matters less against the Eagles than it does against other teams. But for this week, I just think that seven points is a lot for a Jaguars team that has momentum. The Eagles are good. I wouldn't say they're dominant quite yet. They only put up 24 points against the Commanders team that could do literally nothing on offense. And that's, you know, that's nitpicky. I acknowledge that. But that's what happens when you rise to the upper echelon of the league is that people get nitpicky, people like me. So I love Jaguars to cover. I picked them to win in our picks post. I'm slightly less confident on that front, but I do think that this game is going to be a lot closer than the seven-point line indicates. I wonder if we're experiencing some sort of brand bias here because if another team had obliterated the Chargers 38-10, to 10, would they have gone in the next week as a full touchdown underdog? I do not think so i think that doug peterson he will be motivated going back to philadelphia i think the institutional knowledge helps the coach more than it helps the other team because we basically know the mindset of 30 players on that team right they only know the mindset of one coach and yes schematically that makes a difference but i really think you give the former coach the advantage in there because he knows what makes each player tick and more than anything else he knows their weakness which i think He's smart enough to exploit in a way where Urban Meyer, who didn't know who Aaron Donald was, uh, perhaps was not as qualified to do it. I'm not sold on the Eagles. That's my take. I watched the Lions and the Vikings play football last week, and I was a bit nonplussed with them both. Neither of them seemed to be better than a 9-8 and team. There were obvious deficiencies. So those are the two wins on the year that Philadelphia has. One was by three points. I think that they were pretty convincing against Minnesota. We know what Kirk Cousins does in primetime. 
It's as painful as listening to the entire Nickelback discography. And then last week, the Commanders. The Commanders are lost. Carson Wentz was coming into town. It was a perfect opportunity for a beatdown, and they took care of business. I still need to see more from this team. I'm just not ready to install them and trust them as seven-point favorites against anybody, especially a team like the Jaguars, which is really impressing me with its competitiveness and its competence. And Trevor Lawrence is the same guy he was coming out of college. It feels like last year was a bit of a lost year. He was not great. There were some physical problems, I thought. There were some execution problems. Uh, but he was not put in the situations to succeed. I think that Peterson is an offensive coach. I mean, he's won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Like, he's very good at cooking with the ingredients presented to him, and he has a number one overall pick. So I'm not as bullish as you in saying that the Jaguars are going to win this game, but I feel real confident in it being a four-quarter contest, and I can't wait to see the overreaction in Philly if the Jaguars do pull the upset. All right, my second best pick of the weekend is a winless team. The only winless team, the Las Vegas Raiders. Now they're 0-3, yes, technically, legally, <laughs> by the laws of man. But in an alternate universe, not that far away, they could be 3-0. They could. Derek Carr, I kind of excoriated him. I didn't want to hear any more about him on the Monday podcast, but here I am talking about him. He's pretty good. Uh, not throwing the ball to Devonte Adams is certainly a choice. I can't see them making again because it was disastrous and they're playing the Broncos. That's the most important factor here. Denver is two and one. Now, let me just, I'm, I'm pausing for effect there because they should not be two and one. They have a head coach that is over his head. They've brought in someone to help him with game management who didn't seem to improve the game management. Russell Wilson led this team for one touchdown drive, which was enough in a absolutely brutal 11 to 10 victory over the San Francisco 49ers, who I think also kind of stink, at least offensively. The Raiders are only two point favorites here. I think they win this game. I think they win it convincingly. I can't imagine a world where the Broncos break off 24 points or 20 points. I think it's more likely that they get held to single digits. I will use this space to briefly monologue about Josh McDaniels. I watched a lot of Patriots football over the last decade as a born and bred New Englander. Um, Josh McDaniels is a smart coach who gets too cute. And what I mean by that is that this whole giving Brandon Bolden double-digit touches every week over Josh Jacobs, that's not going to go away. You just kind of take that. But when there is a very clear and obvious problem with the offense, such as Devontae Adams catching two passes after being paid an exorbitant amount of money and obviously has secured his place in the upper tier of receivers in this league, then McDaniels will fix that. So going into Sunday, I have a firm belief that Adams is going to get going early. I think that the Broncos, you really hit the nail on the head with everything about the Broncos. It's, you know, it feels a little bit like a game between two teams who have shot themselves in the foot over and over again, but the Broncos have stumbled into wins and the Raiders have not. And this feels like the week, if for any other reason than the Raiders are at home, they got home cooking, the Broncos 
have their issues, but I just don't see the Raiders falling to 0-4 with a game at home against one of the dumbest teams in the NFL. I don't know if I would say that they're one of the worst, but in terms of, you know, moments that make you smack your head and wonder what that guy is doing, the Broncos rank very high on those power rankings. The Raiders are probably in the middle tier there, and especially this line. I mean, I understand why the Raiders are only two-point favorites. In fact, it's a little surprising and probably reflective of our comments here that the Broncos are even underdogs in this game as a two-and-one AFC West squad with the notably better quarterback going up against a winless team. But all the Raiders need to do is win by a field goal and they cover. I don't see how you can. Uh, I don't see how you can pass this one up if you are a lover of betting. This is one of the better bets of the week for sure. I'm going to throw two hot potatoes at you, so I apologize. Number one, the phrase born and bred. Does that just mean that you were conceived in New England? And if so, it's kind of weird that we keep saying that. And number two, more of a comment than a question. I want to see Russell Wilson with his shirt off because he looks doughy, does he not? I mean, that Subway ad, you know, a lot of Danger Russ sandwiches, but that was also filmed back in the spring. So I'm sure uh, Getty will probably hook us up at some point. Shout out, Getty. Uh, for my second best pick of the week, anybody who's been listening or reading knows that this one was coming. We are legally obligated to pick the Detroit Lions to cover once again this week. But this time it's different after the Lions have been underdogs for the better part of, I don't know, three years or something. They were favored in one game earlier this season against the Commanders, and now they are favored once again. And this time it's a big line, a risky line. Vegas has the Lions as six-and-a-half-point favorites over the Seattle Seahawks. I would not blame you if that made you nervous, but these Lions know how to cover. They lost a pretty brutal game last week that Dan Campbell completely blew. Uh, you know, really just can't say how badly he failed his team in that regard. And I think he knows it. I think they're coming in real motivated. On the Seahawks side of things, you know, they're fine. They're unspectacular. We, It's basically what we expected coming into the season. I would say Geno Smith is slightly better than perhaps what we thought. But otherwise, this is an average defense that struggles to make stops when it really matters. The offense does not have a strength. I wouldn't say they have any particularly strong weaknesses, but they definitely don't have any strengths. The Lions boast the best run offense in the NFL, so losing DeAndre Swift for what appears to be an extended period of time is a blow to their big play abilities. But I would not say it's going to affect the overall production all that much because Jamal Williams runs like a man possessed. And Amon Ross St. Brown, the newest star young wide receiver, appears to be pretty okay. Sounds like he's going to suit up for this week. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll's a smart coach who will do what he can to take advantage of Jared Goff's various inadequacies. But I just can't, I don't buy the Geno Smith program in Seattle. And we do, we definitely buy the Dan Campbell program here at the big lead. I like the Lions. I think this is our riskiest Lions pick to date, but I like them a lot. I don't think it's that risky because I think that this line stinks to high heaven. The Lions suffered a million injuries. Tracy Walker is out for the year. That's really going to hurt. Their defense has not been good. They did not really lose the game as much as Dan Campbell lost it for them, as you as you mentioned, and it was good to see him take ownership of it. It's good to see that it actually hurts him, and I love that accountability. The fact that it's six and a half is just begging people to take the Seahawks. You're That's what they're doing. 
they're begging people to look at this line, be like, I simply cannot trust the Detroit Lions here. I think you have to trust them. I really do. And I think it's more of a product of what Seattle is than what Detroit is. Detroit's still going to be able to run the football. Jared Goff has been, I'm going to say it, he's been good. Jared Goff has been every bit the quarterback you would want to take you to the playoffs. And I think working off that play action, as I mentioned before, he's at his best with the Rams when he could run that stretch PA and find someone over the flat. And they do have receivers and they do play tough. And this game is at home and the fans are behind him. I think that Seattle coming out to the East coast can always be a tall task. I'm not loving what I'm seeing from Geno Smith, but I think more problematic is Seattle's inability to rush the football. Like that's what they were supposed to be coming into the season. There's been some injury. My guy, Kenneth Walker has had some setbacks and he's going to be awesome. He's just not there yet. But what they want to do is establish the run, shorten the game, do all that. They're not going to be able to do it. And I think that the lions get right here. It feels weird to be a favorite. It feels weird to be a favorite by this many points, but I trust them. I really do. I think that this is going to be a pretty convincing victory. And I think we're going to be back here each and every week talking about this lions team is better than people think, but you can't bank on them winning football games, but they'll be four and zero against the spread come Sunday night. And we're going to keep doing this. And it's the only, honestly, it's the only thing we should do because our other picks have been absolutely atrocious. If you take the lions out of this, we are 17 and 27. So thank God the franchise is finally bearing some productive fruit for someone because it's been a long time coming. And now the number one pick of the week from me. And again, this one's motivated by a strong dislike from Robert Sala. Now I have a receipt for him. He said that he appreciates that Donald Trump is a man who lives his life by faith. Well, guess what? I don't have any faith in you, bro. You got absolutely murdered by the Bengals. You are playing the Steelers this week. Zach Wilson is returning, but he hasn't played much meaningful football in a long time. He's got to go against that defense, which say what you want still shows up. The Steelers, we know their game plan, win the game by scoring 20 points or 17 points. I think they're going to do that. I don't think the Jets get above 14. I like the Steelers 20, the Jets 14 here. And I think that Salah got a little bit high on the horse. I really do. After that miraculous victory over the Browns, which is the one bright spot of the season, which will never happen again, I think it obscured the fact that this team stinks out loud that they're on pace to win three or four games this year, and they're just bad. This line doesn't make any sense to me because look at the coaching disparity. Look at Mitch Trubisky, who is not losing football games. I I wouldn't have been surprised if this one was six and a half. I know the Steelers aren't a great football team, but I really think that the Jets stink, and I will not be picking them for the rest of the year for many reasons, all of them based on Robert Sala. I mean, death taxes and the Steelers' defense, right? They're going to show up to play. They always do. What I find interesting about this line is that it's at three and a half instead of an even three, which I think makes it an even better bet for anybody. This line appears based off of a complete lack of faith in the Mitchell Trubisky-led offense, which I get and I more or less agree with. 
but it really overestimates the Jets, especially a Jets team that's going to be throwing Zach Wilson into the fray against a talented veteran defense who will be doing everything they can to confuse and harass him. He Wilson hasn't played meaningful football since January. He barely got any run in the preseason. Everybody else on the offense is used to the Joe Flacco program. It's going to be an adjustment week for the Jets, and it's one of those lumps that you take when you're a bad team trying to develop a young quarterback, and that is what it is. And Robert Salah will get, you know, probably inappropriately upset over it, but it is what it is. This is a game that they're going to lose because that's just part of the program. With a line at three and a half, though, that really is great value considering that the Steelers just get, they get it done. You know, Najee Harris is good. Mitchell Trubisky can hit guys in the flat in his check down routes. And eventually that leads to points, even if it's not in great quantity. Hammer the under and take the Steelers. And this is the best bet of the day. Except for my best bet of the day, which comes in my view, as a very reactionary line from the Las Vegas people, I have the Titans as three-and-a-half-point underdogs over the Colts. The Colts, as you probably know, pulled out a miracle victory over the Kansas City Chiefs this past week. It was, frankly, a total shock to everybody. It really shouldn't have happened. A lot. Every, it was one of those situations where everything had to go right in order for the Colts to pull that one out. And then it did go right. I don't see an improvement in the overall quality of the team. It's not like Jelani Woods is going to become one of the best tight ends in the league. Matt Ryan still has nobody to throw to. That offensive line is still puzzlingly bad. The only thing the Colts really have going for them, and the only reason that you might be tempted to go against my recommendation here, is that the Colts have a very good run defense. They have been one of the best in the league, both in terms of total yards and in terms of yards per carry. That is obviously a big problem, again, for the Tennessee Titans, who more or less go as Derrick Henry goes. But the Colts can't protect Matt Ryan. The Titans have one of the better defensive lines in the league in their own right. Uh, the Colts still, even last week, struggled to score many points. The Titans have a little bit of momentum after they got their first one of the season against Las Vegas and what was a messy and, frankly, slightly offensive affair, but a win is a win nevertheless. Uh, Indy's at home, so I guess I see the logic a little bit, but I really do not believe in this Colts team. I think the Titans are not as bad as their one and two records suggest. All their losses, well, the Bills' loss was bad, but the other two losses were close. You know, I don't see how you can justify, based on what we've seen, you cannot justify taking the Colts on this line. The Titans are very likely to win this game, and if they don't win this game, I don't foresee a future in which they lose by multiple scores. This will be a field goal game at the absolute worst, and that still is a cover if you're betting Titans. You know, all we do is overreact on this podcast, but I want to pat us on the back for not overreacting to things, not overreacting to the Colts' shocking victory over the Chiefs, and not overreacting to the Titans getting murdered by Buffalo on Monday Night Football. Because I think that that matchup against Buffalo is literally the worst one for the Titans. Like, smart football people who are better at this than you and I have pointed that out, and it played out as we expected. Tannehill, yes, he is good when he has weapons around him. And right now he doesn't have many weapons and the Derrick Henry thing is concerning, but Vrabel is a guy who 
welcomes the challenge. I think you're exactly right on the momentum. I think that the Colts thing was a blip and the Titans are actually going to be chronically in the mix as they want to do as we go through the season. I guess if we're wrong on this one, it totally changes the conversation. I think in many ways, this is the game where we'll learn the most about a team. Like it's the Colts. This is the Colts test. Okay. They have to win this game. And if they do, I think that I'll keep them, keep going back to it. That AFC championship game pick maybe is back on the board because it proves that they can beat quality opponents and start stringing something together. But if they do lose this game, it'll, we'll see that what happened against Kansas city is an aberration. And we'll see this team is having real problems and even in a division that, you know, seems like it would be there for the taking uh, is gotten a far more complicated with the Jaguars playing good football. Matt Ryan does not look young. He looks like he still knows how to play quarterback, but I think we've gotten so accustomed to the day and age where the aging quarterback hardly shows the limitations of the physical body breaking down. And Matt Ryan is actually, you know, the norm. This is what we used to see. We used to see people fall off. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. I like the Titans too. I think there's a defensive touchdown. I still don't trust Frank Wright to use Jonathan Taylor correctly, which is bizarre. Um, The game plan should be giving him the football 25 to 30 times per game and seeing what happens. But I, I don't trust him to do that. So I'm with you. I'm feeling six and oh here. I'm feeling the momentum. We're going to get back to 500 and we will not come to you with our hat and our hands um, begging for forgiveness anymore. That's our solemn promise to you. If not, we will keep fighting and we're going to turn this thing around. Believe in us as we believe in you. Like Billy Corgan said. You nailed it. I'm feeling great about our picks this week. I think, you know, this is the karmic pendulum swinging back our way, our tough start this year after we... I would say exceeded expectations in our rookie season. Little bit of a sophomore slump, but sophomore slumps don't last forever. I'm feeling good about this week. Less than two weeks ago, Live Golf Commissioner and CEO Greg Norman said there was a feverish bidding war underway for his Rogue League's media rights with four different networks vying for the opportunity. So we can only wonder what the other three offers were after a late night scoop from Golf Week's Amon Lynch informed us all that Liv is on the cusp of paying Fox Sports 1 to air its tournaments. A well-placed industry executive says Liv struck out with approaches to multiple broadcasters, including NBC, CBS, Disney, Apple, and Amazon, and that Fox Sports got involved only at the behest of Lachlan Murdoch, the executive chairman and CEO of Fox Corp. Last month, Sports Business Journal reported that Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of Donald Trump, had been calling broadcasters trying to generate interest in a live television package. In 2021, Kushner's private equity firm, Affinity Partners, secured $2 billion in funding from the Saudi Public Investment Fund. All of this is completely normal stuff. Not a single thing jumps off the page. Nothing to see here. I'm sure everything is on the up and up. Obviously, 
This is not the lucrative deal Liv wanted and all but promised to get with its lofty stated goal, taking the PGA Tour on in match play and emerging victorious. There's a not insignificant portion of our audience that revels in anything this renegade outfit does on the way to fumbling the bag. So with that in mind, here's some further delicious details. Liv requested a rights fee for year two of any deal and a guaranteed time slot on network television, but both proposals were rejected by Fox, according to a source familiar with the specifics of the conversations. It is believed Fox has offered to reevaluate network placement at a later date. Liv will also be responsible for the production of its tournament broadcast and for selling commercial sponsorships during its time slots, two tasks that would usually fall to a broadcast partner. Liv Golf, My Pillow, Collision Course. Things could definitely get better for Liv and a more traditional deal could present itself in time for next year. And honestly, it doesn't seem like spending a boatload of money with a plan to recoup it is part of the financial plan at Live, which, again, seems fine and normal. It is pretty crazy, at least to this point, to realize a bunch of the best golfers in the world put their careers in serious jeopardy for an outfit relegated to pay to put its events, its exhibitions, on cable television. On the other hand, we feel very confident things will get crazier. Live golf. It's truly like the Jelly of the Month Club, a gift that keeps on giving the whole year round. The first year of the Manning cast on ESPN2 was a fun experiment, but it wasn't the fleshed out version of what the network or Peyton and Eli Manning envisioned. They want it to be more than a broadcast good for a couple of viral moments every year, sometimes due to the broadcasting inexperience the on-screen talent has. They want it to be a viable alternative to the main broadcast, a place for those who enjoy the ambient noise of the game and insight two former quarterbacks can offer in an informal manner. Year two of the Manicast has the brothers moving closer to that goal. Monday's Cowboys-Giants game was a good example. Peyton and Eli just feel more comfortable up there. They figured out how to smoothly cut to commercial by the end of last season, but have shown market improvement this year over the course of a three-hour broadcast. It feels more natural when Peyton points out an interesting quirk of the offense or when Eli breaks down a defensive coverage to explain why a quarterback made a certain decision. The most indicative component of all of this is the silence that can permeate the Manning cast. Last year, when Peyton and Eli had no guests and were left to their own devices for half a quarter, it felt uncomfortable at times. Breaks in their conversation would stretch too long, and the two would clearly begin to look awkward as they tried to think of something to say. When they did, the transition would be pretty abrupt. One of the overarching goals of the broadcast is to make the conversation flow naturally like it would if you were sitting in the living room with the two brothers yourself. They had a lot of trouble with this in year one, which is simply explained by their lack of television experience. Monday, though, there were multiple moments where they'd go quiet, partially due to the fact that they stacked nearly all their guests into one quarter. But it didn't feel like dead air on the call. The breaks were more natural and exiting them even more so, 
It is a mark of Peyton and Eli's progress that they clearly feel comfortable letting the sounds of the game rain for a few minutes before gently transitioning back into conversation. It makes for a much better viewing experience, sandwiched between their very real reactions to incredible and or stupid plays on the field. The Manning cast itself is not a finished product. The production team is still finding its groove with the guest selection and the timing of the sideshow skits shown over the broadcast of the actual game. But the Mannings themselves have gotten a lot better. Quick note to the television network sending reporters out into Hurricane Ian. What the hell are you doing? Bring them back inside. This is criminally stupid. It's Wednesday afternoon and I'm seeing video after video of Jim Cantori and his ilk out there risking their lives to let us know that it's rainy and it's windy and there's a hurricane. We got it. That's what the camera's for. The camera presents the picture without the human being standing out in the elements. One of these days, someone is going to die on air and it'll be totally avoidable. Pisses me off. The stated reason for doing this is to show normal people that they shouldn't be going outside into the hurricane because they could get hurt. You can do this without sending people out in the hurricane to inevitably get hurt. This disaster porn sucks. It's gross. There's no public good done here. Salaciousness for salaciousness sake. Bring them inside, man. We all know better. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 